Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Molly Gamble. Molly's the leader of the editorial team at Becker's Healthcare, editor-in-chief, brilliant, brilliant thinker. She follows healthcare with us regularly and periodically joins us on the podcast to tell us what issues she's watching closely. Molly, I'm going to tee it up and ask you, tell us what are the couple of stories that you're watching closely in healthcare currently? Yeah, thank you, Scott. I've got a development out of Pittsburgh, one story out of Florida I think listeners will be interested in, and then a a national level trend uh, that we've discussed a little bit in the past, but I wanted to circle back with some new numbers for you. But Pittsburgh at UPMC, the health system is readying itself for a change in leadership as its longtime executive Chuck Bogosta prepares to retire this early summer. Chuck wears three hats with the system, EVP of the system, vice chair of its cancer center, and then president of UPMC. International. And that last role is what I I was hoping to expand on a little bit for listeners today. Chuck is really the key leader behind how UPMC has taken on its global expansion over the past decade and change. Uh, The health system now has a presence in Italy, Ireland, China, Croatia, and Kazakhstan. And more than 10 years ago, I remember speaking with Chuck about the strategy here, and he said that UPMC was diverging from how a lot of other health systems had traditionally approached international expansion. Many systems do so with the aim to bring patients back to the U.S., and instead, UPMC either struck partnerships with existing hospitals overseas or built hospitals anew and then looked to take on care for those patients abroad. So UPMC is naming two leaders who will be taking on Chuck's leadership, one for the Cancer Center, one for the international arm. Uh, his retirement will take effect in June. But just wanted to note there, there's he, he wears many hats, but I think of, of note to listeners would be the big role that Chuck has played over many years, 25 in total with UPMC, but particularly for its international efforts. You know, and, and it's uh, amazing what they've done there. And to tell us besides that, and we're seeing a lot of that turnover of long-term legendary CEOs, what else are you watching currently? I had a chance, Scott, to talk with a CEO down in, in Florida. And before I get to what this hospital is doing, I think if I zoom out, the reason I found it most interesting is because this year is set to be such a taxing one for the U.S. cancer care system. So although mortality is going down, new diagnoses are projected to hit a high in the country, going to be exceeding 2 million for the first time. That's about 5,500 cancer diagnoses a day. And hospitals and health systems are are bracing for how best to reorganize if they need to and deliver care for this number of newly diagnosed cancer patients. And down in Florida, Jupiter Medical Center in Palm Beach County, it's an independent nonprofit hospital. A couple of years ago, they started to notice the trend lines around oncology changing with demand for those services going up by about 40% over the past two years. And in response to this, the hospital, it's led by CEO Dr. Amit Rastogi, decided to redesign and reorganize care to make a commitment that newly diagnosed cancer patients patients can get in the next day at the latest for an oncologist appointment. Um, the, the hospital has a guarantee patients who receive a cancer diagnosis today can get that appoint, appointment with a surgical, medical, or radiation oncologist tomorrow. And I'm unfil- unfamiliar with this type of pledge at other hospitals. If there are listeners who 
have enacted similar programs or know of them, you know, please reach out because I love to learn. I, I don't see many hospitals often competing on timely access like this. Um, but Scott, Dr. Osogi has a lot of positive things to say about this next day appointments program. Patients in, in Palm Beach, they were typically waiting two to three weeks between their diagnoses and then an oncologist consultation. They can now get in much faster. It reduces their anxiety also for their families. And then depending on the cancer staging, even a matter of weeks can make a difference to treatments and results. Um, finally, Dr. Rostogi, he is an internist himself. So I think this program is especially meaningful to him in that way because primary care teams are often the ones finding cancer and detecting it and diagnosing it. So it's a assuredness for the primary care team to then be able to know patients will get in the next day like that. Um, so if, if listeners are interested in learning more about this program, you can find my story on it on Becker's Hospital Review. It's headlined, at one Florida hospital, new cancer patients will see an oncologist by tomorrow. Fantastic. And we're seeing more and more of that as the world of access gets tougher and tougher, people trying to improve access and capacity and how they work to efficiency a lot. But it's fascinating to see that kind of effort towards marketing that. I think you're right on on that. Molly, anything else that you're watching closely? I think just one follow-up for us, Scott. I know a few weeks ago we talked about the capacity problems that were unfolding in Massachusetts. One more reminder about the brick-and-mortar paradox that health systems are facing today. And I call it a paradox because there's so many healthcare thought leaders, industry voices that have spent a great deal of time, attention, and hypothetical thinking about care being delivered in the homes, retail clinics, smartphone screens, other ordinary or lower acuity settings. And that will likely be the case 10 years ahead and maybe even shorter than that. But right now, care and capacity for medically complex patients especially has only grown much more tenuous in many markets. So I just have some new survey results to share. They were released this week from NEJM Catalyst. Um, they surveyed their council members, which is made up of clinicians, clinical leaders, executives at healthcare organizations around the world. And 61% said their organizations are planning to renovate existing healthcare buildings. And then 51% said they'll be building new buildings. So just some more findings. This survey was taken in November. Um, just reminding us, Scott, that the need for brick and mortar and more spaces for patients is alive and well, and, and really a key objective for health system leaders right now. Um, the, the biggest drivers of those expansion, renovation, or building plans were capacity needs, improved patient access, and then better throughput. Molly, thank you as always for joining us today on the Breakfast uh, Healthcare Podcast. This issue of how many people will have to be building over the next decade or so is fascinating, given the death out there, the challenges out there, and so forth. We sound like starting to return towards some positive operating margins, but still lots of challenges. Uh, Molly, again, thank you for joining us as always. Thanks, Scott.